Hey everybody, Mike here, OBRC. How you doing today? Alright, today I want to talk about habitat. Uh, when I'm first going into an area that I uh, want to check out that I believe could in fact perhaps hold a uh, primitive giant ape or if I get an incident report or even if I um, just want to check out a new area in general or even revisit an old familiar area the landscape is always changing so with new tools today and when I say new tools I mean things we didn't have when I first started this search um, things like Google Maps and satellite images from outer space that was unheard of. We had topo maps and compasses. Uh, later came GPSs, which were oftentimes faulty and unreliable. The compass and the paper map was better. But now there's things out there today, certain apps that I use for hunting, regular hunting, wildlife hunting, that uh, really make this job so much easier. So one of the things I like to do is I like to look at habitat and structure. I like to know what the tree cover's like. Are there openings? Is there water? Things that wildlife requires for their survival. Um, one term you'll probably hear me say a lot is cover. And by cover, I mean the thickness or denseness of the brush or forest. Imagine you're getting out of the shower and you're going to run up to the store and go shopping. First thing you do, you get dressed, right? Why? Because you want to cover yourself from being naked. Okay, well, wildlife is much the same way. They like to cover themselves from others' naked eyes. For instance, a mouse on a golf course, neatly trimmed, is easy prey for a hawk or an owl. But a couple foot deep of grass, that little mouse can move around pretty freely because he's covered. Okay, a lot of animals do this. Deer do it. Um, rabbits do it. Squirrel do it. You name it. Pretty much every animal uses cover. I also like to look for water sources and food sources. I'm going to dive into food sources quite a bit here because it, it's a real wormhole. A lot of things that we consider to be food sources actually aren't. And a lot of things that we don't consider to be food sources actually are. Take the acorn, for instance. If humans were to eat acorns raw because they have tannin in them which was used by primitive people to tan deer hides, acorns can make you extremely sick. Enough of them can kill you. However, a turkey can eat acorns. A squirrel can eat acorns. A deer can eat acorns. Not only can they eat them, but it's a prized food source by wildlife. Now, what's that mean to someone who hunts? Well, you find a woods that has a really great group of oak trees and acorns. You know wildlife is going to be attracted to that area. And your animals of prey are going to come in. 
And if there's animals of prey, then there's predator animals that are going to hunt those animals of prey. Um, you know, we don't actually know for sure what Bigfoot's diet is, but I like to think it's um, about a 50-50 split between vegetation and meat. For instance, we humans might have a, a grilled chicken salad or a side salad, Caesar salad with our steak dinner, a baked potato with our steak dinner, baked beans with uh, hot dogs and, you know, cabbage egg rolls and uh, vegetable fried shrimp. And so, you know, just as we mix our diet, I believe that Bigfoot likes to as well. And some of the meat animals, though, that we might consider different for us might be absolutely prime for a Bigfoot. For instance, as a hunter, I've ate raccoon, I've ate squirrel, deer, groundhog. Um, in the early, I believe it was the early 1900s, late 1800s, beaver meat and muskrat were actually considered safe for lint because they were considered an aquatic animal by the Roman Catholic Church. So, and I've ate beaver, and I've ate muskrat, and it's fantastic. Uh, one animal that I've ate that probably a lot of you are going to cringe at is that I've actually tried coyote, and I love frog legs. But yes, I've literally ate part of a coyote before. Wouldn't recommend it. Wasn't exactly the greatest thing I've ever ate. But I can't say the same for Bigfoot or for somebody else. So when we think of animals of prey, sometimes predators can be prey. I mean, there's nobody out there that knows... Will Bigfoot eat a coyote? Some might say yes. Some might say no. And a lot of that is based on our own personal opinions. But those personal opinions are just that. It's, it's things that we find favorable or unfavorable. And you can't look at it like that. You have to strictly look at it through wildlife. For instance, a a uh, black mink will go up in a tree and devour a nest of baby squirrels. Uh, squirrels will eat squirrels. And a lot of you may not believe this, but I've seen it from my own eyes, and it does happen. But during fawning season, I've actually watched a deer eat baby birds out of a nest for the protein to uh, enhance the enrichment of her milk for her fawn. Pretty crazy, right? Yes, but it happens. So when we think of eating something like we would never, I would never go to a restaurant and ask the chef to find a baby bird nest and 
kill the babies and serve them to me. You know, obviously that would never happen. And much like myself, you probably think, yeah, that's pretty gross. However, I've seen a deer do it. I've seen a turkey dunk its head in a creek and come out with crayfish. I've ate crayfish. They're actually not bad. They kind of remind you of popcorn. Um, but, you know, we don't exactly know what the Bigfoot diet is as far as meat. Vegetation, we can get a pretty good guess. Probably if it's safe for a human, it's safe for a Bigfoot. And a lot of people, though, don't realize some things that are safe or good for humans, like um, cattail roots. Um, when cattails first come up, before they get that brown fuzz on them, that little stem at the top, roast those things like you would an ear of corn, and they're fantastic. Young potato vine, there's all kinds of things that we don't think about that you kind of have to go out of the box for when it comes to a Bigfoot diet. I personally feel that they would eat a coyote. I believe that if they were, uh, you know, they, to them it might be like eating a uh, filet mignon or it can be one of those things, you know, I haven't ate in a while, I'm hungry, this tastes good. I can give you a prime example of that as we was camping out at uh, Wayne National Forest one time. The only thing we had left over the uh, next day was a pack of hot dogs and eggs. Well, hot dogs and eggs scrambled in a skillet together <laughs> might not sound that appealing. But when you've been on a long bow hunt and you're pretty darn hungry, at the time that was like the best meal I had ever ate in my life. Probably because I was just that hungry, but fried hot dogs and eggs cooked together in a skillet. Yeah, that was a fantastic dinner for us, or breakfast for us. So, you know, that's just uh, some of the things that I look at is the wildlife in the area. Because, essentially, any wild animal could be a animal of prey if the predator is big enough and willing enough to consume it just like me and the coyote generally speaking i would not go to a restaurant and order a coyote i don't think anyone would and uh you know it like i said it really wasn't the best tasting but it also wasn't horrible i mean I think if I would have cooked it differently, I'd actually be willing to try it again because it wasn't bad. It was just different. It was the taboo of eating something that, you know, maybe people 200, 300 years ago, maybe that was fine table fare and they knew how to cook it just right. But in today's world, we don't think of eating things like that. But... Bigfoot being a primitive ape-type animal, which I believe is flesh and blood, um, a lineage of apes, primates, um, you know, that might be just a hot meal ticket, so...
just something to think about because they don't live in the times that we live in. Or at least they do. I guess they don't live in the same environment. We Bigfoot's not going to walk up to McDonald's and get a Big Mac. Might raid the dumpster, but not going to walk up to the drive-thru and order a Big Mac. Plain and simple. And I look for uh, old orchards in the area. If there's any old apple trees, peach trees, pear trees, you know, anything like that. Uh, I do believe fruits are... Uh, a uh, rare treat for a Bigfoot. And once I discover that there is a viable food source in the area, you know, the first thing I find is the water sources. Water first, food second. You find water, you're going to find the other food. Find water because the water grows the vegetation. That type of vegetation gets eaten by animals of prey. Animals, predator animals come in to eat the animals of prey. Bigger predator animals come in to eat everything. Um, so yeah, that's just some of the things that I look at. I definitely, though, one thing that I, I, I really believe in is cover. For instance, one of the woods where I squirrel hunt, it's it's so weird because there is no low-growing vegetation. It is full of squirrel, but you can walk through there and not get hung up in brush and briars and all that stuff. Well, the problem is that in a woods like that, even though I'm in the woods... There's places where I can still very easily see well over a hundred yards inside the interior of the woods. But then I I like those woods when, uh, if I'm thinking of a Bigfoot, that I hate hiking through. The nasty, the thick, almost impenetrable. In some places you cannot penetrate the, the brush. You know, I've been uh, in places where turkey hunting where I've literally had to crawl on my hands and knees through multi-floral rows to come out the other side. Um, yeah, I look for things like that. That thick, nasty, what I call cover. Not a nice, clean, open woods. I like the nasty brush because that's what's going to hide you the best if you're an animal that feels vulnerable to humans and doesn't want to be found. So, habitat. Habitat is the key for me. All the habitat, and I mean, I don't just mean the surrounding area, but or the immediate area, I mean the surrounding area as well. For instance, a raccoon might live its life its entire life within a uh, quarter square mile. And a raccoon, let me tell you, is an animal that absolutely moves with purpose. When it gets out of a bed and it comes out of its den tree, it knows exactly where it's going. It knows exactly what it's doing. It is very odd to witness, but a raccoon absolutely moves with purpose. Whereas in the off-season, a buck deer might keep a range of about a quarter mile to a half a mile. 
But when the rut kicks in, a.k.a. the breeding season, it can run up to a square mile. So it expands its area in search of a partner to continue its lineage as it just is built in its brain to do with the cooling of the fall weather. So that's, uh, you know, and so I like to go wide when I'm looking at an area, especially if we're talking about an animal as big as a Bigfoot because... Anyone who's ever seen those Old West movies know that buffalo herds would move hundreds of miles. I mean, they would move great distances. They would cross state lines and because uh, they would just follow the food source. And they would go, they just knew. I don't, it's so weird, but they just knew. Just like a, a goose knows the head south for the winter, it just, they just know. So I believe that Bigfoot, when applying those same practices of wildlife instincts, is where I set my mind up when I'm investigating an area or investigating an incident or going into a new area for the first time or even returning to an old area. And I like to keep studying the areas that I currently research I just like to look around them. I like to go a little bit broader, a little bit wider, find different things and uh, areas of interest, as I call them. A lot of them are valleys and creek beds and things like that. I like to find natural springs, uh, fresh water sources, not stagnant water, stale water. Very, very, very few animals, even in the wild, will uh, drink stagnant, stale water. Some will, some won't. Humans do. They end up with something called giardia or other types of bacterial infection or parasitic infection. So I like to take a look at uh, habitat. Habitat, habitat, habitat. And I challenge you to do the same for uh, your one of any one of your areas of research that you're thinking of going or that you currently visit. Look at that uh, five to ten square miles area. See what's out and around. Evolve a pattern. Are there connecting crop fields? Are there connecting tree lines? Uh, how could you move from point A to point B and stay covered? How would you do it in the summer? How would you do it when the crops are up? How would you do it in the winter? Uh, this is a good way of um, finding travel routes for wildlife. I use the same practices for deer hunting, by the way. I also use them in much smaller scale for squirrel hunting, raccoon hunting, coyote hunting, rabbit hunting, you name it. Rabbits you're not going to find in light, light, very low brush. They like the, they like the high grass. So at least the knee-high grass to a human, which is pretty daggum tall to a rabbit. They like the higher stuff. They don't like that clean-cut stuff. They do on a full moon. They'll go out under a full moon and eat. But uh, yeah, not during the. 
not during the daytime. They like the thick cover because they like to stay hidden from predator animals. So that's just, you know, something I want to throw against dirt out there to you guys is uh, don't be afraid to study the habitat. Study the areas around. And I would say as a good general rule of thumb, if you have a pinpoint area that you want to research or investigate or you have an investigation, start with that area and start sweeping out and look at an area of about five square miles as a general rule of thumb. You will learn a lot and you'll probably learn things that you didn't know about the habitat and how quickly it can change how it can go from hilly to flat how you can have those long flat plateaus that you don't think about or those little hidden secret valley gems that you might not think to look up um so yeah when i go into an area that's just one of the things i like to do um, if you would like to contact me, first of all, we're on Facebook, Ohio Bigfoot Research and Investigation Center is our page. I believe it's Facebook slash blah, 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 at Ohio Bigfoot Research and Investigation Center. You can also contact me at Ohio underscore Bigfoot at yahoo.com. Or, I believe, Ohio Bigfoot Research at Gmail. But, typically, I use the Yahoo. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, reach out, say hello. Um, check out our page. Like I said, I've not been in the field for many years. I'm just now getting back into it. I just had to walk away for a bit. I had to do it. And now I'm getting back into it. So I would recommend probably as my main staging area, I guess, is the Facebook page at Ohio Bigfoot Research and Investigation Center. So that's all I got for this episode. Um, like I said, some of my uh, past um, research and hiking buddies and overnight observation buddies i'm going to be getting in touch with them and you'll be hearing from them on the podcast and some new friends along the way and um yeah this is going to be a a pretty good uh pretty pretty good thing i feel and i plan on continuing this um i'll also be doing these little short solo cast as i call them for a podcast where it's just me giving out information but then you might hear this exact same information discussed with people that i researched with in the past and get those different perspectives of it so uh you know we're no experts here don't take exactly what i say with the you know take it with a grain of salt uh not the gospel, but I'm just telling you as someone who's been hunting for over 30 years as an avid bow hunter, I'm coming at this with my application of wildlife knowledge and my background in wildlife management and habitat restoration. 
So uh, have a good night, day, everybody, whenever you're listening to this, a good morning, and we'll catch you on the next episode.